From our local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered, and it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as the podcast is over, head to dallasnews.com sports to see what Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the DMN gang has for you there. Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where we break down a question, event, news, or trend having to do with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Grell. I'm from Mavs Digital. Joining me today to talk about the bad trend that just won't end. Oh my God. We got to figure this thing out. It's Isaac Harris. Isaac, let's figure this thing out. You went over that list again, and I've heard you say that list so many times and that we're talking about. All like we talk about all these different things on the spot, but you said trends. I'm like, oh man, the only trend that's been happening lately is losing basketball games, but they look like they're turning a corner and we have everyone back. The Mavericks have everyone back. Uh, one game as Josh Richardson said after the game, he said, this was like game one. This was our first game of having all the guys back. He even posted on his Instagram. So I think, uh, I think, Hopefully, we're turning a corner, and there's a lot to be excited for with this Mavs team. Yeah, symbolically, for a couple different reasons, that game against Phoenix was really that two-game set against Phoenix was nice. First off, everybody's back, and so you can kind of, you know, you're almost starting with a clean slate, even though you spotted the rest of the league a few games that uh, maybe in a normal season you wouldn't have lost. And then also, um, they just played a lot harder. You know, in both of those games. And now Dallas did go 0-2 against Phoenix. But, I mean, holy cow. It looked like a totally different team than the one that we saw whenever they played Utah on, what was that Thursday night? Was that Friday night? Friday night. Uh, down 37-12 in the first quarter. I mean, that's like, you know, yeah. that's about as different. low as it's going to get. But uh, they played, I thought they played pretty well on Saturday. Honestly, thought they played really well on Monday. But uh, Devin Booker and, and especially Chris Paul were just better. I mean, Chris Paul is just – LeBron gets all the love, that, and, and he deserves all the love. But Chris Paul, I think, might even be older than LeBron, and he is still just as good as he ever was. It's, it's amazing watching him play. And so uh, it was two gut-punch losses, especially the, the second one. Uh, but I, I don't think it's like a hang-your-head kind of result in either of those games, mm. especially coming off – uh, the, the vibes coming out of the Utah game and, and Lucas saying that we need to play harder, we need to figure stuff out. I mean, it looked like they did figure some stuff out, especially on defense, but they just couldn't get over the finish line. You know what I mean? Yeah, you saw a whole different you know effort you know output for the whole team, and you kind of you it, the whole team and rotation felt different. You know, we saw you know it, it was it's crazy when you you watch that game that's especially a second game against phoenix because everybody's back for that game you get three starters back i mean it's crazy that you know it's it's not just hey dallas is missing you know all these guys you know for covid over the past few weeks but three starters I mean, maxi and dorian and josh and, and you know all three of them back but even going into you know rick basically played an eight-man rotation that game you know trey and trey and james johnson you know they got both under five minutes i think in that game but basically eight-man rotation and some of these guys that we've seen you know we we just saw james johnson get 30 minutes in a game you know a week or a week and a half ago and wesley wandu and josh green and some of these guys that are 25 you know 28 minutes a night 
And I mean, even a guy like Dwight Powell who didn't, you know, didn't see the floor, uh, I guess Monday night, I think it was Monday night. He didn't see the floor. Yeah, that was his first DNPCD in like two years, three years. Yeah. So, you know, now you have everybody back. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy thing that this is stuff that you might see in the preseason where Rick's trying to see what works, what works coming off the bench. There might be a night to where, yeah, like Dwight didn't play on Monday night, but who knows? I mean, two games from now, it could be you know flipped between him and Willie, and Willie might not play, and Dwight's playing you know the same amount of time that Willie did the other night. So I, I think there's still some tinkering that needs to happen, tinkering that would normally happen during preseason at the first of the season. Now Dallas has you know all their pieces back, and but yeah, I, I think you could see such a difference in this this Mavericks team, spacing wise, personnel wise, uh, everything. I mean, even for Maxi, right off the bat, first game back, he did a follow up dunk. He had a, I mean, an incredible timed block on DeAndre Ayton right at the rim. I'm like, I feel like he jumped before Ayton even got the ball, and you, you just had to smile. You're like, welcome back, Maxi Kleba. Yeah, but then, you know, that it, I, so with the other guys, like Dorian, for example, his first game back against Utah, he front-rimmed a couple threes right off the bat. And, uh, you know, Josh missed his first few threes too, but I feel like Maxi was a really good example, and good is maybe not even the right word for this, but – you could tell that Maxi had not touched a basketball in three weeks because, yes, yeah. he had a great follow-up dunk. He had that great block. He's so good at swooping in from the weak side and, and just stuffing someone uh, right at the rim. But he, you know, he short he shorted a three-point shot by like five feet. Uh, yeah. he, I think he was like looking for a lob uh, at one point, <laughs> but he ended backboard. up kind of tossing <laughs> off the backboard. And then too, you know, on the last play, I don't know if it was his job to foul or someone else, but he ended up uh, guarding Chris Paul in the corner. And, uh, you know, and, and didn't foul him. And so, you know, those are very clear examples of, like, you were just trying so hard to belong on an NBA floor. And if you just go three weeks without touching a basketball or lifting a weight or running on a treadmill, like, it is going to show sometimes. So, um, you know, Richardson, I thought, was fantastic on, on Monday. He had 24 points. Yeah. It's most in the game as a Mav. Took him a couple games to kind of shake off the rust. Uh, Dorian has shot better the last couple games than he did, uh, you know, in that, in that first Utah game, especially, you know, we missed that shot right at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, but it was like halfway in. I mean, it was, it was a good shot. He just missed it. Uh, so those two guys are a little ahead of Maxi, uh, just in terms of kind of return to form, uh, Dwight, I thought Dwight looked pretty good whenever he played Utah, um, especially in the second game. I thought he was really good and the team was kind of good when he was on the floor. Uh, and it, so, his, you know, his energy, like for, a, yeah. for a team against that, that, in that Utah game that, you know, they really struggle with the effort part, especially in that first quarter or something, something you can never, you can never doubt about Dwight Powell is effort and hustle and energy because he's going to bring that. And I think he was kind of a, a breath of fresh air whenever, you know, he, he was brought off the bench in that game and the dude was out there hustling and flying around everywhere. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, coming, coming back full circle to Maxi a lot of the impact plays that he made against Phoenix were not hitting jump shots or, or doing anything fancy. It was just going out and just trying really hard. And he always plays 100 miles an hour. That's one of the things I really like about him and why I've always thought he's really good coming off the bench because you could drop him into a game for 20 minutes, you know, seven, eight minutes, spurts a few different times, and he can just go bananas. But he started. And it's really interesting that he started. You know, they're, they're searching for offensive spacing and shooting. And he has had the best three-point percentage on the team this season. Uh, at the same time, they've kind of get beat down on the boards a little bit whenever they've gone smaller, and so he gives you some size. 
but also he gives you the versatility to be able to step out and defend guards, defend wings, and all of that stuff. And so it makes sense envisioning kind of a Kleba Porzingis front court. But I wonder if it'll be. I get we, you and I have had this conversation a million times where we're like, okay, it depends on the matchup. Maybe they'll go four wings with KP. Maybe they'll go two bigs. But I was always under the impression that the other big would be like Colley Stein or Dwight Powell. But after mm. seeing how they played, especially defensively with Maxi in there, I wonder if maybe Maxi is like the sixth starter. Uh, wh- what do you think about kind of – it's obviously only one game, but how they looked and, and, and what how that could play out. I love Maxi next to KP. I just – I love – I mean, Bobby and I could literally just do a whole pot on Maxi. We, <laughs> we both think he's one of the most underrated players uh, in the league. But he just brings such a unique aspect to any team, but especially the Mavs team, being a 6'10", 3-and-D guy that – you know, can defend the rim that can pull off a play like blocking eight and at the rim, but can also switch off on some of the bigger, you know, forwards in the game too that play on the wing and, and guard on the perimeter. So I love that combination with KP. I thought it was interesting, you know, towards the end of the game, Rick was kind of, uh, uh, swapping out Maxi with Tim is kind of going for like offense defense. I felt, I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but you know, that he kind of went back and forth on that. I wonder if that will be something that will move forward to where he'll do the offense defense. But then it's like, are we, you know, Maxi's 47% three point shooter. So, you know, do you want that spacing out there compared to you want a little bit more versatility, like ball handling, creating a little bit more in, in Tim. So that dynamic is really intriguing to me of, maxi tim not just starting but you know late because he did obviously move tim to the to the bench you know for this game yeah the the biggest kind of trick that they'll have to figure out is how they're going to manage that closing lineup especially whenever they're down so whenever you're ahead you can kind of depending on how much you're ahead by you can kind of just throw out your best defenders with luca and porzingis and just say like just hold on to the lead but then whenever they're down you know you need points you need to score fast and you know, typically throughout the throughout the bulk of a game, teams will defend Porzingis with their biggest defender because Porzingis is a freaking giant. But yeah. late in games, and 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 depending on the other team's personnel and stuff, sometimes they'll put, you know, their biggest defender on like Dorian, or they'll put a weak defender on somebody else, not Porzingis, and the Mavs will try and manufacture a switch in the pick and roll so that Luka can attack a big guy or Luka can attack kind of the weak point, uh, the weakest link of that defense which kind of takes them away from the Luka KP pick and roll in crunch time because you're going to like Luka Dorian or Luka Josh Richardson or Luka Tim or, you know, last year was a lot of like Luka Seth because you want Luka to have a good matchup on offense. So that's kind of the biggest trick is like how can you manage the personnel going into the, the late game, the very, very late game, the final two minutes, whenever every possession is 20 seconds long, what combination can you put out there that's going to allow you to go to a favorable pick and roll pairing because like, you know, I, I love Dorian J. Smith. Like I've been the captain of the fan club for five years now, but opposing teams don't respect him in the same way that they would Porzingis. And so if you're going to, if Luke is going to come off a Finney Smith screen, Finney Smith's little flare, little pop out to the three point line is not going to really create the the same kind of space that a Porzingis one would. And so that's kind of, I, I feel like one of the things that they need to kind of work on, but that's why it's important to just get all these guys back on the floor so you know what yeah. you're working with. Like, they, they have not had – they have not gone through it. These two Phoenix games were their first two clutch games with their team. 
You know, they played some earlier in the year without Porzingis. They played some uh, a, a week or so ago without Finney Smith and Richardson. And so it's important that they're going through this stuff. It just kind of sucks that they had to go uh, through it against, like, maybe the best closer of, like, the last five yeah. years at Chris Paul. That dude is a freak. Uh, Isaac, the other the other big storyline to uh, to come out of the second Phoenix game in particular was KP uh, coming out and saying that after after the game, he said that part of the reason that he felt like he was in such a good rhythm in the fourth quarter, he scored 10 points. He was honestly very good uh, for them in the fourth quarter. Maybe their best player, him or Richardson, for sure, yeah. uh, offensively at least. Uh, he, he said part of the reason he was able to play so well is because he played longer stretches of minutes in the second half. He played, I think, the entire fourth quarter uh, and, and played quite a bit in the third quarter too. And now generally this season, he's followed much more of like the – the Dirk uh, rotation where he'll play like the first five to six minutes of the game, sit out for three or four minutes, come back in with like one or two left in the in the first quarter, play the rest of the first quarter, play the first like six to seven minutes of the second quarter, sit out for a little bit, and then come in right at the end of the half. And then basically do the same exact thing in the second half. And that's how Dirk played for most of the time that he was here with Rick as the coach. Like Dirk did that same exact thing whenever they won the finals. Like that's that's just what Dirk is used to. But for Porzingis, he says whenever he's out there for longer times, he can kind of get a feel for it. Uh, he doesn't feel like, you know, if, if he knows he's only going to be out there for four minutes, then subconsciously he's thinking, all right, I got to shoot, 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 shoot. Like, I got to get my shots up. If he knows he's going to be out there for eight minutes, he doesn't have to rush it as much. And I definitely hear what he's saying. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, th- there's a lot to that, a lot of truth to that. Some players like going in short bursts because they can just go explode for five minutes and then sit down. Some guys like to kind of cook. We saw a dude with, with J.J. Whenever he said uh, – whenever J.J. was starting, he was always like, I can just kind of get into the rhythm of the game and like yeah. let it happen. Like so many guys say that, and it sounds like BS, and then you see it, and you're like, okay, well, I know what they're talking about now. Uh, and, and so, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll see a rotation shift, but I'm just curious. I mean, I know, I know you probably talked about it with Nick on Locked on Mavs the other day, uh, but what what is kind of your, your take on that and just generally like KP's self – awareness slash self-criticism like he's a really kind of an interesting guy yeah well I think I think it speaks a little into just him still trying to find his exact role uh in the offense you know going back I mean to his position I mean he was he's been very outspoken about you know wanting to play the five and the opportunities offensively that playing the five gives him in this offense and be able to roll and you know choose to you know pop out and shoot a three just all of that so he's he's talked about the position you know aspect of in the offense he's talked about the minutes part he's talked about when he first came back you know he was wanting to come back from the entry as any athlete would. And, you know, they brought him back at the time that they, they all felt, you know, was needed and was right for him and his recovery. He comes back, he plays it, you know, he, and he's talked about the shots, you know, on the, what, I guess the Charlotte game. He, he first came back and it could be wrong somewhere around there. And he came back in that game and yeah, he had a different type of rotation. He was getting those shots up. And I think for him, a lot of this is just confidence and just his, uh, the mental side of the game right now, what works for him and what, how's the, you know, I think this shines a brighter light too, of what are, what 
what are the relationships with players and coaches across the league? How are rotations established? Is this just a coaching thing? Is it a player and coaching thing? And and like you said, some players are comfortable and uncomfortable with different roles. You know, uh, I remember when Seth Curry was, you know, first, and I think it was the first uh, stint in Dallas. He was pretty open that he liked starting. He, you know, coming off the bench. Not everybody's a Jason Terry. That's fine with that and can adapt to that role. And for KP. I can't even act like I know what it, you know, what it's like to rhythm for a professional athlete, like all of that stuff. I'm like, just trying to nail down my like morning routine of like, Hey, let me brush my teeth and get my things in order uh, before I go to work. I can't imagine just the rhythm of being a professional athlete. And so for KP, uh, this is obviously something that he wants changed on that. He said that after the game, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I need to communicate this to the coaching staff. So I am curious to see if this is something that helps him get in more rhythm, especially mentally of like, all right, now I know I have more time on the floor. It's not like a ticking talk in his mind of like, all right, I know I have like three minutes in and I got to get my shots in these three minutes. I'm coming out. Maybe if it is a longer stretch and he's more comfortable with that, it might unlock him a little bit more. And Because I do think you can watch KP a little bit now, and you still don't see just the flowing KP. He doesn't feel as comfortable maybe of like that, that stint of like pre-bubble KP, that you know span of what, 25 games, something like that, that it was just, all right, that's all-star KP. How do we get back to that all-star KP? And it sounds like you know some of it is conversation between him and the coaches and minute and all that. Well, if he does play longer stretches of minutes, it kind of makes it tougher for them to stagger KP and Luka because basically the what they're doing right now is one of them is always on the floor. They play the first six minutes and the final six minutes-ish of both halves together. And then for the rest of the 12 to 17 whatever minutes uh in in any given half only one of them is on the floor usually but if kp is going to play eight or nine minute stretches instead of six or seven minute stretches or five or six minute stretches then what does that mean for luca because right now luca plays the entire first and the entire third quarters and he is a dominant third quarter player like yeah far and away well, I haven't looked at it this year, but last year he was like far and away the best third quarter player in the NBA. Part of that, you're more productive because you're playing more minutes, but it's at a point in the game where he's fresh coming out of halftime and the game hasn't slowed down at crunch time. You know, he gets to beat up on backups for like five or six minutes. And so he just dominates, especially the second halves of third quarters. And so what I wonder is like, okay, do we play KP for the entire third quarter? and bring Luca out earlier in the third quarter. But then it's like, mm. well, you lose the advantage of Luca dominating third stringers for five straight minutes in the third quarter. It's just like really, it's really tough. How do you balance it? Maybe you just flip flop them. But I think Luca likes playing the 12 minute stretches. So it's just a really kind of building a rotation is really tough. I think is the, is the solution. But what do you, what do you think the, what do you think it would look like if they, if they did say, all right, KP, you'll play longer. Well, they they have to figure out the non-Luca minutes. I mean, that's been a thing that we've been trying to just like, not just track, but I think it's very noticeable, especially, you know, on a team that we, we miss KP those first nine games and, you know, missing all the guys of COVID and stuff. It became a, all right, when Luca's out of the game, where's the offense and who's running the offense? Where are the points coming? It's a little bit less of a brighter light being shot, you know, shine down on, on that group whenever he's off the floor, when you have KP and, you know, just the other night on Monday night, you know, when Luca was off the floor, we also saw a lot of the starters on the floor too. And I, I don't, I think that's by design. Like, Hey, we, 
we have to make up for this. You know, when Josh was out there and, and KP was out there, and Matt, you know, some of those guys. So I, I think that's that's what I would be focusing on the most of, all right, if it, if it means they can't, you know, they're not always going to, the breaks are going to overlap some, then you have to find a group that is very confident. Like that bench group, you know, I want to say last year or like the Brunson, Dwight, Maxi, that old bench crew back in the day. I say back in the day, but it was only like what, two years ago or something. They just had a chemistry. They had, they gelled together as a unit, as a second unit. If you could find a unit like that, that you know they click and they work and you know that you're not going to beat, you know, go go in the net negative and you know when Luca's off the floor, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But if you're still struggling, you can't, you know, keep on losing the non-Luca minutes like, you know, they they went on a stretch. I think they lost what 12 to 5 or 10 to 5 or something uh, against the Suns on Monday night when Luca's off the floor. That's you have to hold your ground in those minutes. So, I think that's the thing. Can they find a group if they do have to overlap and they're both on the bench together, can they find a unique group to click and make it work? Yeah, and stuff like this, man. I mean, you always say about sports, about life, about everything. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And having seen J.J. freaking Barea run oh. the second unit for seven years or whatever it was, it just really kind of puts it in perspective. Like Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, Chris Stapps, Porzingis – all very, 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 very good players. But there's just some guys, guys like J.J. Barea, Devin Harris. Like, like Dwight Chris Powell. Paul. Gr- I mean, Dwight Powell is a great second unit center. A great second yeah. unit center. There are just some guys that just find – they just know how to do it. It's, it is weird. You know, it's weird to sit down for six, seven, eight minutes of game time and then come in and immediately be able to make an impact. Like you talked about Jet earlier. Jason Terry would sit – in the corner of the arena by the tunnel where the visiting team comes out and ride an exercise bike for the first like five minutes of every game just to keep his legs warm like it it, it takes a different kind of I don't know attitude and, and physical readiness but uh yeah I just I I love JJ Bray I just wanted to say that <laughs> I love him too I, I miss him and I hope him uh, well as he uh, travels to Spain and all of that but I think this is a, a time for Brunson maybe to take that. And I do want to praise Brunson. I think Brunson's having an underrated year so far. You know, if you ever want to even mention any positives, which you can't go online and mention positives right now. But if you do want to, you know, pull out the Jon Snow sword and take on, you know, the army, uh, a positive that you can mention is, you know, Brunson's shooting so far this season. I mean, I think he's right at the 50, 40, 90 club, uh, 52%. Uh, I want to say fit, you know, 42% from three, right at 90% from the free throw line. And I, I think, yeah, he's having an underrated season, you know, for the Mavericks. He started a handful of games, but if he can, I know we've all, you know, we all want to do it. We've all said, it's like, oh, is this the new JJ Barea? Can Brunson, you know, be that? I don't know if anybody will ever be JJ Barea, but can he play that similar type of role to where can he like man that, that second unit and in command that second unit? That's, that's something I think he can do, but can they get the right personnel for it to all the click Dwight at center? And you know, what's the other piece is Josh in that unit. If KB and Lucas setting is Josh out there with Brunson and Dwight and what, you know, who's the other two guys out there? I don't know, but I'm, I'll be curious to see if Rick can land on something like that. If KP and Luca are both resting, yeah, and of course, if Maxi is starting, it's tougher for him to be in the second unit. But if he's not, then 
Brunson, Maxie Dwight isn't bad, or Brunson, Maxie KP, you yeah. know, if he's doing the Dirk thing. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But again, they they're gonna they're gonna have to discover something. Like they're when I say they're gonna figure it out, I don't mean they're gonna figure it out as in they're gonna win sixty games. I mean they're literally gonna figure it out. Like they don't yeah. know yet. They so they have to like learn what the best one is. And, you know, last season they started what, six and five or whatever. Rick was still messing with the starting lineup. I mean, he did later on because of injuries, but like he was still messing with the rotation in like game 12 or game 13, whenever everyone was healthy. And this was basically game one. So, you know, it's going to be kind of an adjustment period for the next couple of weeks, probably just so happens that right now they're playing a bunch of teams that are going to, you know, be top four in their conference. So that, that sort of sucks. But um, okay. I want to talk about Atlanta real quick. And then after that, I want a closing kind of like thought thing you're thinking about. So start, start spinning the gears for that as well. Um, right. but tonight, they got Atlanta. It's the first night of a back-to-back, I think. They play Atlanta, and then they come home and play Golden State. Is that right? Yeah, uh, they, yeah, Golden State on Thursday night. I yeah, they mean. play Golden State on Thursday, and they play Golden State again on Saturday. So it's another set. They're 0 for 4 in uh, two-game sets. They play Atlanta on the road and then come home for Golden State, and then they play Atlanta again, I think, like next week. So it's like a pseudo set against the Hawks. You get two games against weird. them pretty close together. So it's really weird. Right now they're playing like – in like a 10-game stretch, eight of them are against four teams. It's very strange. Um, Atlanta, much improved team, as was kind of yeah. expected. Uh, but you want to talk about a team that's been injured, man. They've been missing a lot of guys. Like uh, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been out for a while. Uh, Danilo was out for a while. Clint Capella missed the first bunch of games, but he came back, had a uh, triple-double with blocks recently. Trey Young shoots a bajillion free throws and he's having a really nice season like 26 27 points nine assists they're a really good team definitely a playoff team I think you and I agreed on that when we did our little uh 29 teams and 29 minutes preview but uh I don't think they've been on national tv much so I don't know how much Hawks basketball you've seen but just generally what it, where does kind of your your temperature going into this game I know some fans uh, on the second row watched some Hawks basketball against the Lakers. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the other night. But, but no, they're also missing DeAndre Hunter, uh, who uh, coined uh, himself as Optimus Prime. Sure, uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but no, I mean he he has had an incredible season so far for them, and uh, yeah. So, but he's out right now, so that's you know a benefit for for Dallas. But yeah, I think rebounding. I mean, Capella's been. I mean, he's one of the top rebounders in the game. I want to say top five. I was looking at number one in re- offensive rebounds. Wow, wow! I didn't know if that was Andre Drummond or not. Uh, but uh, but but no, uh, Clint Capella is an amazing rebounder. Uh, so yeah, their front court: John Collins, Capella. You know they started Reddish and Herder uh, with Trey Young against uh, the Lakers the other night. But I'll just be really curious on. You know, I'm assuming you know Reddish will take will take Luca, I guess, uh, unless they want to put Kevin Herder on him. I hope. Uh, but uh, but no, I, I want to see the rebounding battle. That's it. That's the thing with Maxi and and KP back. You know, versus Capella, John Collins. Can Dallas, you know, they rebounded pretty well uh, against uh, against the Suns the other night. I, can they can they match that rebounding effort? Capella, he's going to give it on the board. So can they match that rebounding wise against Atlanta? I'll be I'll be curious on that. I expect Trey and Luca to have a shootout and all of that, but uh, rebounding is what I'm watching. Yeah, Capella averages five offensive rebounds a game. So if he gets five, which is a lot, that's just what he does on a nightly basis. So hopefully, keeping him to five or fewer would be good. They did rebound the ball really well until like the last couple minutes. You know, Phoenix Phoenix got mm-hmm. one too many uh, second chances. Obviously, at the end of that game, 
Part of it was because Chris Paul airballed a layup. So I was uh, so weird. That was very strange. Cannot count on happening uh, on, on that kind of thing happening again. But John Collins has historically given the Mavs some issues. Maxi starting if he does, I imagine that he would again. Uh, could help there because then you know KP's on Capella, Maxi's on John Collins. Then you can kind of do some stuff in the pick and roll. I'm sure Josh Richardson will be guarding Trey Young. Trey will have to guard, I guess Finney Smith. On I guess so. defense, uh, so what, that that Doran's post up games like, yeah. Well, well, that could be good for Doran going to the offensive glass and stuff. You know, uh, crashing yeah. in, flying in, getting rebounds. So, you know, we'll see. Right now, they're in a they're in a state the Mavs are where they just have to find ways to manufacture points. Just you you have to find ways to score while you're waiting for everyone to kind of get their rhythm. And then once they do, hopefully by then you'll you'll be off to the races. But all right, uh, closing up shop here. What is kind of your uh, I don't know what what's like your your last like thing last take that you want to talk about? I don't have a take. I actually have a question for you. Okay. Uh, since we're, pl- we're since we're playing the Hawks, I'm looking uh, at the bench unit for the Hawks. So Bobby, uh, I've seen one of one of uh, your favorite players on the bench for the Hawks. I just want to know you tell me a story that sticks out about uh, Rajon Rondo's career in Dallas. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> So many to choose from, really. So many to choose from. I got to say, Isaac, I got to say, like his like second or third game was at Boston, and he had like 30 points, and I fell for it. And I was like, dude, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and that was like the high point of his Mavs career. <laughs> that so, was the high point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was my closing take. I couldn't – what are the odds that – he tries to get into it with Luca and Mavs fans. We didn't think, you know, we could dislike someone more as a fan, but uh, what are the odds that he gets into it with Luca and then it's all, all the memories are coming back. I, I truly hope not. I truly hope. Is Chris Dunn back for them, by the way? I don't think so. I mean, he didn't play against LA. Okay. So. Yeah. Cause he's, he's been out maybe all year, but uh, I think at the beginning of the year, he might've been healthy and Rondo wasn't even playing. It was, Ooh. it's really weird. They, Atlanta has like, too many players. They have a lot of play, and it helps right now. That well, it doesn't help, but a lot of guys are hurt for them. Yeah, but dude, like Rondo could be like D and PCD whenever they're all healthy, which I'm sure That's Mavs true. fans would love to see. But you'll have to you'll have to stomach watching him tomorrow. And uh, we didn't mention tonight. Gallo too much, but Gallinari, Gallinari comes off the bench for them, so. That's just, I mean, we saw, not that they're the same player, but we saw what Jordan Clarkson did off the bench, you know, to Dallas the other night for Utah. And, you know, can they contain Gallinari who, I mean, he only had six points against the Lakers, but still, you always have to respect his shooting and scoring off the bench. And he annihilates the Mavs too. He is just a, he is just a Mavs assassin. Um, Yes. All right. The last thing that I'm thinking of that I want to talk about is before we recorded this podcast, um, Brooklyn was playing the Clippers. And Brooklyn was winning like all game. You know they're really, really talented. They'll they'll probably go to the finals, right? I mean, they'll, they're gonna go far. But they like tried really hard to give that game away, and they did give it away the other night against Washington. Yeah. And it just really made me think like, if three like surefire Hall of Famers, like three of the most talented players ever, need a few weeks to figure things out, like. I, that yeah. confirms like just just tap the brakes with the maps you know just let it let it play but out bobby I mean, there's like, no time scoring like there's 150 no time. points what i said bobby there's no time you, though 
There's no there's no yeah, time. I mean, to, time is of the essence. I'm not going to lie. They they don't have many games left, but Brooklyn is like scoring 140 points right now and they're giving up like 139. So it takes it just takes some time to figure things out. Defensively, it takes time to figure things out in crunch time uh, on both ends of the floor, including offense, even whenever you have all that talent. So it's just like, okay, I mean, I don't know. Use Brooklyn as like your North Star. And earlier in the year before Brooklyn traded for Harden, they were kind of going through those same things because KD and Kyrie had not played together. And they were doing a lot of things like the Mavs were last year where they were scoring 125 points, but their defensive rating was miserable because they just no one knew how to play with each other. And so, uh, you know, it's it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. But ultimately, you know, we're probably not going to remember the six – I mean, some people will remember the six-game losing streak because they refuse to allow themselves to have fun watching yes. a sport. But at the end of the year, we're not going to remember how we felt right now. The only goal is – because they definitely will get better. The only goal is that by the time they figure things out, they're not ten games out. You know, like yeah. just you just got to try and find it soon. And I think they're they're right there. They're right there. Winning the other night would have felt so good. Winning on Saturday would have felt so good. They just didn't get it done. Uh, but there, there, there were building blocks in that game that they can build upon. And hopefully, you know, the fruits of their labor are rewarded. Atlanta's no pushover. Golden State is obviously very, very good. you got to play them twice. Uh, so it's going to be three more tough games. But starting to see some progress. And I know that in a 72-game season, that's already more than a quarter of the way over. And with the team that's lost six games, and we all think that they were going to be a top six seed this year, it's hard to stay patient. But you kind of got to just like just stay a little yeah. patient. And it's it's a good month it, for a month for you to say we have to get back on track this month. It's this month. We're at home for majority of the month. That first month was everything you could you know imagine for the most part from KP missing that first you know big portion of the season majority of all the games were on the road you know COVID, all of that you know all lumped together was uh january so february we were always we we're all looking forward to february even before all of that we're like all right february that stretch of february where they're at home the majority of the games and all this stuff and uh, except for our families our families are not looking forward to uh, the month of february uh but uh being gone to these games but but no i think it, this is the stretch if you had a month to get back on track. It's the stretch of games where you're at home the most and everybody's back healthy again. So uh, I think we could see a Mav Mavericks team uh, turn it around this month. Yeah, just got to just build some confidence. But you got to take care of business too. You know, they, they have a losing yeah. record against losing teams this year. Uh, so, you know, you got to turn that around. But we'll see what happens, man. We'll see. The, 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 it's still the first chapter. The book is still unwritten. Just got to see what happens. Uh, don't go uh, cutting each other's throats because, you know, Maxie missed one shot. Like, it's all good. It's, it's going to be fine. All right, Isaac. Thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate it. This is a, We hit a lot of stuff in half an hour. Jesus. This is very good. Um, he is Isaac Harris. You can find him on Twitter, Isaac L. Harris. You can read him at Mavs.com. Uh, and you can listen to him every day on Locked On Mavs. I'm Bobby Corella. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Corella. And uh, this is Mavs Daily. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And we will be back with you in some way, shape, or form at a point in time in the future. Until then, we'll see you.